I think this is the last Sunday that Pedro will make an appearance. So after, after this Sunday, he might, you know, he might retire for a bit. So if you're new to our church um, for the first time. By the way, uh, parents uh, in the, in the uh, other wing, in the little lounge with the little kids, <laughs> uh, this past Tuesday staff meeting, uh, Constance was trying to use the TV monitor there that live sort of feeds the service, and she plugged it in, and this uh, Pedro was still up there, and in the monitor, it's pitch black in the background, and so it was literally as if this head was just floating in air, and, and God's dressed himself were like, yeah, sort of freaked out. I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> just a floating head stage. If you've been here, you know. Pedro is you, it's me. Pedro gets up every morning and he looks in the mirror and he goes, I don't like what I see. He looks in the mirror and he goes, I don't know if I'm worthy of love and belonging. He looks in the mirror and he goes, I'm, I'm talking to my 13-year-old son. I asked him permission, by the way. He and I were having a deep conversation at McDonald's over sausage McMuffin with egg. And we're talking about true self, false self. And, and by the way, I love the fact that we're using that language to describe this type of true self, false self. And he says this, he goes, Dad, do you know that 13, 14-year-olds who get up in the morning, they look at themselves in the mirror, and he says, they hate what they see. It's like, so, yeah, of course we bandage ourselves with all kinds of stuff. It's like, man, he is deep. Where did he get that from? Probably mama. Anyway, so, um, I said to him, I said, you know, I said, when you're 13 years old, you, you're not at good, as good at masking, but as you get older, you get really sophisticated at masking yourself. So we get up every morning, you, me, and we bandage ourselves. You know what the bandage is? The bandage is perfectionism. The bandage is finding my identity in what I do. I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. Or... Stuff that we do, I'm helpful, I serve people. Or bandages, I have money, I drive a nice car, wear a nice watch, I live in a certain neighborhood. Or some of us, it's I'm really spiritual, I'm moral, I don't do anything bad. For some of us, it's I get good grades. I please my parents. We bandage ourselves every morning because we're just afraid of being fully known. And the reality is, if we're not fully known, say it with me, church, we can't be what? Fully loved. And you and I were created. I don't care if you're not a Christian in here. You're created to be fully known and fully loved. It's part of your DNA. So we bandage ourselves like Pedro every morning. Every morning so we can make it out in the world. Now there are very few times when uh, the bandages will slip a little bit and people kind of see us for who we are. Oh no, no, I, I, can't, I can't possibly have that so we bandage ourselves more tightly. And the journey towards the true self first requires like you being honest about what are the bandages? Come on, somebody. What are the bandages? We do this at New Community. Say it out loud. What is the bandage for you? I'll tell you what it is for me. Perfectionism. 
to cover shame, which I'll get to in a minute. It's, I am a pastor. I preach. Like, what is it for you? Attention? Longing for affirmation? Longing for someone to say good things about me? Do you, know what, do you know what it means to begin to unwind the mask? It's as simple as this. As simple as when somebody says, hey, how you doing? Instead of going, fine. Maybe pausing and going, ah, let me think about that. Do you know what would happen if this church was one space in all of Chicago where people didn't have to wear bandages? Yet how many of us, even here, wear bandages? Why are, you trying to, why, are you trying, why are you trying to pretend to be more spiritual than you are? Why do you do that? Because you don't feel safe? Why do, you, why do you pretend to be more competent than you are? Why? Why do you pretend to be more put together? Why do you pretend? Why do I pretend? We all do it. Why? Because it's what's underneath bandages. So we're on this journey towards our true self. And by the way, Father, you can keep your eyes open. I'm just talking to God right now. Father, I'm going to go to some deep, painful places today. And some of these folks are not going to like it. And I'm going to get all insecure because I'm going to be like, they don't like what I'm saying. And, but Father, help me to rest in the fact that I'm approved by you. Help me to rest in the fact that I'm already loved. I'm affirmed. And just because a handful of people go, I don't like what he says, help me to realize that that's okay. But I also pray, God, that whoever it is here right now feeling resistance, feeling like, that you would break through that. That you break through that. That the resistance they've lived with months, years, that you would break through that. That you would break, because I can't do it, God. I can't. I can only talk. I can't do it. I need you to do the work. So will you do that for that sister, for that brother? Will you do that work? Will you do that work? Will you do that work? God, I need you to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'd love to think I can do it. I have a big ego that says I can do it, but I can't do it. You need to do it. You need to do it. Amen and amen. The scripture foundation for where we've been going. Have you memorized these, by the way? Ephesians 4, verses 22. You're taught with regard to your former way of life. Do you remember? To put off your old self. What is your old self? It's your false self. It's your false self that's agitated, that's grasping, that's foolish and deeply afraid. Is this you? Is that you? It said, put on the new self, true self, created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.3, for you died. You're dead to this old life, to the false self. And your real life, your true life is hidden with Christ and God. That's who you really are, hidden with Christ and God. That's your true identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new life has begun. Everybody, if you need to go early, catch this and you need to go. Part of the reason I struggled at naming this journey to new self is because here's the thing. We're already what we seek. There's a sense of journey where in which I'm going to place I haven't been to, I'm going, no, no, no. We are already what we seek. So it's more of an awareness than accomplishment. It's more of an awakening. So much of the Christian life is about that. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. I have the Holy Spirit of God inside me. And we live completely unaware and awakened to this thing that we have in us. So much of Christian life is, man, you're already what you seek. Are you aware of it? 
Have you awakened to it? <sighs> Running and grr. God says, no, you're already, you're already, already that. This journey really for me and you began three years ago. Do you know that? When we as a church went through emotionally healthy spirituality. This journey really began, not just seven months ago when I left for seven months, but really began when we talked about emotional health spirituality. What do I mean? The true self, false self began with this premise, right? That emotional health, that's your ability to be self-aware. Everybody say self-aware. And to love well, say love well. Love well and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible to become spiritually mature unless you're emotionally, what? Healthy. And for some of us, this, like our world was rocked because we grew up in churches where this component of discipleship was totally absent, right? Because here's the picture. Look, check this out. Iceberg. Do you remember this picture? So much of our lives that people see is the tip of the iceberg. It's a 10%. It's the external. External. And everybody knows who you are in that. But who we really are is what? It's the 90% of the iceberg that lies underneath. And some of us that grew up in church, the discipleship really didn't adjust to 90%, you know, it just the top 10% like Bible study and going to church and community and, and serving and worship, which are all good. But the deeper aspect that lies underneath the 90% of our lives is really why we do what we do. Yeah. Why we behave how we behave when stress comes our way, when things don't go our way. Those underneath 90% things that churches really talk about unless you're here. Because we talk about that. Can I get an amen? And we don't mind talking about that. The 90% is where emotional health and spiritual maturity really begins to address. Can I see some really, really good, 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 just some good news? Jesus is not just interested in changing who we are externally. He is interested in changing all of us. Can I get a name? Amen. He's in changing, he's interested in changing, transforming all of you, all of me, the unseen stuff. And God was to heal that. Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom, for freedom that Christ has set us free. Our past mistakes, our flaws, our sins, those things may explain you, but they don't define you. They don't. Jesus is not want to set you free from the unseen 90% of your life stuff. Here's the thing, though. You ready? The degree to which we give Jesus access to what lies underneath. Let me say that again. The degree to which you and I are willing to give Jesus access to what lies underneath is the degree to which we will experience transformation. And God will not force this on you. He's a gentleman like that. But he may take you through the wilderness and the desert. Your wilderness, your desert, my world, you know what that is? That's when the masks and the bandages start coming off. And we go, I feel naked, I feel vulnerable, I don't know. And we could either strive even harder. Or we could say, what are you doing? What work are you doing? There's a passage in Matthew Jesus uh, talked about that I've always read a certain way that came to new insight. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, 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 and drive out demons in your name and, and perform many miracles in your name? And then verse 23, but Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, say the following with me, ready? I never knew you. Now, normally, some of us, we go, we, 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 the way we interpret this passage is, you know, not everybody who does these amazing things and look Christian on the outside will go to heaven. I don't think that's quite what it means. Check this out, check this out. Jesus is God. He knows everything. So when he says, I never knew you, he's not saying, I never knew anything about you. He knows everything. He knows the number of hair on your head. Please follow. Please follow. This is critical. There's one person on earth who knows me because I've given her access to every aspect of my life. There's one person in my life who could say, I know you, Peter Hong, because I've given her access. Just because Jesus has access to everything that is true about you does not mean Jesus has access to you. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. Just because Jesus has access, he's God, to everything that is true about you does not mean Jesus has access, what? To you. Just because Jesus has access to everything that is true about you, I promise, I'm just going to say it one more time doesn't mean he has access to you, which means the question is not, does Jesus know you? The question is, am I known by Jesus? Lord, I need to pray again, because some of the folks are like, I don't know. Father, will you, will you in your gentleness and love break through? Does Jesus have access to you? Are you known? Are you known? See, some of this is about lordship, right? What do I mean? It's interesting he says that everyone who says, blah, blah, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the rule and reign of God. So, so does, this sign, does this sign hang on the door of your heart? Who I date? Nah, ah, ah, ah. My marriage, ah, 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 ah. what I do for a living, ah, 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 ah. do you have no access signs to aspects of your life? Be honest. Are there act? No access, Jesus. Just because, I promise one more time, that's it. I'll, just because Jesus has access to everything that is true about you, he knows already doesn't mean access to you. Lori, are you tracking? Are you tracking? And the question that we have today, and I need to press deeper, is does Jesus have access to everything that lies underneath the iceberg? What's underneath the iceberg here? My fears, my shame, my guilt, my vulnerabilities, my insecurities, my fears, my desires. Does 
Jesus have access to what lies underneath. Last two weeks, I've asked you, what are the bandages? Today I'm going, what causes you to wear them bandages? What causes you the underneath the iceberg stuff? Not the 10% people see. The last two weeks, we spent some time in Genesis. Yes, Carlton? Yep. We talked about the genesis of, sorry, of the masks. In Genesis 2, when God is everything the way he wants, the man and woman feel what? No shame. They're fully known and fully loved without any fear. But as soon as sin enters the world, what happens? Shame. Shame. What is shame? Us Asian folk are very familiar with shame. Thank you very much. We, we even like saying things like, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Actually, we don't. Sorry, I just threw the entire Asian race under the bus. We don't say that. We don't say that. Shame. In all seriousness, is this painful feeling of what? An experience of I'm unworthy of love and belonging. We all come out of the womb this way. Do you get that? Do you get that? Do you get that? That we all come out of the womb not feeling okay. Your family didn't cause this. Hello, somebody. Your family didn't cause They could exacerbate it. But not one of us came out of the womb going, I am a-okay. We all come out of the womb going, I'm not okay. And our entire life is saying, will somebody tell me that I'm okay? Will somebody tell me that I'm okay? Why? Because you can't tell yourself that you're okay. I'm going to date myself. I am 48, going on 49 in a week or a half. One of my favorite SNL characters growing up was Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley. Al Franken, for those of you that don't know him, okay? Senator from Minnesota formerly, okay? He had this little bit of SNL. What? Stuart Smalley, what? Daily affirmations. He would look himself in the mirror and he would say what? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. <laughs> Do you know why we all loved it and laughed at it? Because we all know it doesn't work. So as soon as we feel and are aware of our nakedness, we do what Adam and Eve did. Fig leaves, fig leaves, fig leaves, fig leaves. I got to cover vulnerability, inadequacy, nakedness, shame. I got to cover myself. I got to cover myself. And the danger is it works. It works. Because people go, oh, you're amazing. Look at that. You're competent. Oh, look at that. You're perfect. Oh, look at that. You're a wonderful doctor, wonderful mom, wonderful dad. It works for a second. But what happens? We get deeper into the bondage of the false self because it gets affirmed. And people don't know the true me. Somebody. And we all walk around with fig leaves on because we're just not convinced that people will love us for who we are. It's a way of coping with this feeling of vulnerability, shame, inadequacy. Give me a minute or two to review. Shame and perfectionism. How many perfectionists out there? They go hand in hand. Whenever you see perfectionism driving you, shame is riding shotgun. Do you know why you're perfectionistic? Because deep down inside, you're like, I'm unworthy of love and belonging. So the way I'm going to cover this is by being what? Perfect. So we go, I will do this until I do it perfectly. When is that again? 
perfectionism, shame. And just as we have to describe name and talk about physical pain to deal with it, we have to recognize and talk about shame to get out from under it. Shame derives its power from being unspoken. Do you know why shame is such a strong hold on you and me? Because you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know what to talk about. So we walk around with shame until I give an opportunity like this and there's like 40 cards in red letters. Shame, 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 shame. Shame, I would argue, drives narcissistic behavior. You want to see a narcissist? Underneath it is shame. Somebody said shame is a, a, a narcissism is a shame-based fear of being ordinary. Shame is the fear-based, a narcissism is shame-based fear of being ordinary. Shame derives its power, listen, from being unspoken. You have to name it. You have to say to somebody, I struggle with shame. You have to write it down, I struggle with shame. You have to say to God, God, I struggle with shame. And at the end of the service, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do just that if you would be courageous enough. So how do we begin to uncover and unwrap ourselves from these bandages that feel like skin? How do we begin to live into our true self? Lori, how are you feeling right now? You feel opened, like surgery opened, you mean? Yeah, because this is the first time you're being here, right? These people have to sit here for like four weeks straight out of this stuff. Surprised they keep coming back. Today, as we talk about the bandages, I'm asking what are the motivations, the fears, the doubts, the shame, the vulnerability, insecurities that you're trying to cover up with your bandages? And have you given Jesus access? Have you given Jesus access to those things? Have you given Jesus access to those things under the iceberg? Just because he knows about it doesn't mean you've given him access. Just because he knows that you've been like that and you struggled doesn't mean that you've given your access. For years I lived my life, church, totally unaware of what lay underneath the iceberg because I was too busy polishing the mask, polishing the bandages. I was so busy polishing my mask and bandages that I was completely unaware of the, band, of, the, of the insecurities, the fears. I was so busy pretending that I was unaware, totally unaware of what lay underneath. But here's the problem. If you want to grow, you need to be self-aware. Emotional healthy. If you want to grow, you got to be self-aware. You cannot change what you are not aware of. You cannot change, I cannot change what we're not aware of. Do you understand that? First step towards change and true transformation is being, say it with me, aware. One more time, aware. One more time, aware. Jesus got to this all the time in the Gospels. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 11, verse 34. Your eye, let's, say, let's read this together. Luke 11, ready? Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Jesus saying spiritual transformation requires purification of sight. You have to see yourself as you are and accept yourself as you are really there for there to be true transformation. Say me one more time. You need to see yourself as you are. As we talked about briefly last week, and I'm going to talk about it again, there needs to be an acceptance of this is who I really am before there's going to be change. 
Self-awareness is at the core of emotional health and spiritual maturity. The thing is, I could see lack of self-awareness in other people. I have a hard time seeing it in me. You walk around, you're like, man, she is so self-unaware. You walk around, man, he is so self-unaware. What about you, Peter? Me? I am totally aware. Does anybody else struggle with this? Didn't Jesus talk about this? Take the thing out of your eye before. He's constantly talking about, you are not. I am not self-aware. We notice other people's lack of awareness. We notice other people's junk. But when it comes to us, we are completely and totally self-unaware. Do you know why? Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen to what Jeremiah says. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And if you're sitting there going, I really know how bad it is, you are not self-aware. Pause. Sorry, Pedro. Pause. The vast majority of us live in denial about the condition of our hearts. The vast majority of us live with an illusion rather than reality. Why? Because it's uncomfortable and costly. You're feeling uncomfortable right now. It's uncomfortable to see ourselves as we are. And it's costly to do something about it. That's why Jesus asked that invalid man who had been invalid for years, do you want to get well? Some of us don't want to get well, right? Because if we got well, we have to change how we've been living. It's costly. It's uncomfortable. Can I just say something? Will you give me two minutes to talk about our nation? I would say this is the reason why our nation will not heal from the evils and injustices of racism in this country. Because unless we as a nation have the courage to see our past as it really was and look honestly at who we are as a nation, we will not be able to move forward in healing. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need national courage to look at our past and go, that's what we did. That is who we were. This is who we are if we are going to move forward. And we need, Lord, national courage and humility to repent of who we've been. But it's not just nationally. What about in your marriages? What about your relationships? Can you and I look at our relationships and marriage and go, this is reality, not illusion. This is reality. This is, what, this is what's really up. We ain't going to play games anymore. This is what's really up. When I do marital counseling and it's clear that the husband and the wife are on different pages, wife is like, everything's fine. Husband's like, it's totally bad. I'm going, this is not going to work. It requires both people to understand the magnitude and the depth of how messed up things are. Reality, reality, reality before things could move forward. So here's what we do when we're in denial, which is the perfect trap for the false self. What do we do? We present the presentable parts, the good parts to people. I have a knack, by the way, for seeing marriages as they are within like 10 minutes. And I go, these guys are pretending. (laughs) Things are not that rosy. Things are not that good. What are they pretending? And what do we do? We ignore parts that we don't like. And the problem is when you ignore those parts, they don't go away. They what? Go into hiding. And it becomes even stronger. Because it's no longer in your awareness. Listen, you guys. If I live with an illusion, 
and I pretend that I am strong and I am competent, not just that I have strength and have competencies, I fall into a trap. Let me say that again. It's one thing to go, I have competence, I have strength. It's another thing to go, I am strong, I am competent. You don't see any of this weak stuff. Then you have to live a lie and pretend that you are strong, that you are competent, not just that you have strengths and competencies. <sighs> There's enormous value in naming and coming to know these excluded parts of ourselves. Remember, somebody came up and gave me this encouragement. They said, Pastor Peter, that analogy you gave last week, there's seven, eight different parts of Peter. They're all at the dinner table. For years, I ignore them. You know, there's a self-righteous Peter that loves looking down at other self-righteous people. <laughs> Admission. Can I, as a pastor, my self-righteousness is towards other self-righteous people. I have no problems with broken, messed up people, like jacked up people. But when I see self-righteous people, I am totally like more self-righteous than you, <laughs> self-righteous one. Does anybody else struggle with that one? Yeah, yeah, self-righteous. And then, and then there's the angry Peter, the angry Peter, which, by the way, comes out as worry, anxiety, addictions. And then there's the insecure Peter. And there's the other Peter that likes wearing nice clothes, likes dressing nice. Oh, man, that was vulnerable, Lord. But the thing is, you guys all know that already, right? Of course you do. Then there's this other Peter over here that's deathly afraid of failure. And see, I need, to, I need to invite all of these Peters and recognize and name them as being part of the family. I had a brother come up last week, self-righteousness, he wrote, self-righteousness. He said, I ignore that part of me for so long. Who, who are you ignoring at the table? Under the iceberg. Who are you ignoring? It was a surprising discovery for me. Is anybody ready for some good news? <laughs> Dan Rodakovich, can I preach the gospel? Can I, can I preach the gospel, church? Because you know what? If right now you are saying, oh, it feels heavy. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, I'm feeling scared. I'm vulnerable. I feel like I'm in therapy. What the heck? If you're feeling like that and the weight of that, the worst thing you could do is to walk out of here going, if I just pull myself by the bootstraps, if I just pull myself by the bootstraps and I try harder, that is the last thing you need to do. Why? That is your false self. You need the gospel. You need Jesus. Because for me, the discovery, almost 50 years of my life, came when I was able to look at myself as I really was, not I hoped to wanted to be, because I was able to accept myself with the bandages and all. Listen, when an alcoholic at an AA meeting says, hi, my name's Peter, I'm an alcoholic, is that guy saying, I'm an alcoholic and I'm fine with it, I don't want to change? No, what is he doing? He's simply saying, this is who I am. I don't need to pretend this is who I am. Reality must be embraced before it can be what? Change. See, see, reality must be embraced before it can be changed. This is who I am. Now, where do you get the courage to do that? Say it with me. The what? Come on! Where do you get the courage to do that? Because the gospel is the only thing that will allow me to face truth as truth is, but, but fear no rejection because I know that I'm deeply loved. <laughs>
The gospel is the only thing that will give me the strength to look at myself as I am without fear of rejection because the gospel tells me that I am deeply messed up, but I am deeply, unconditionally loved. If that's good news to you, will you clap for that? If that is good news, will you clap for that? I am telling you, you cannot be aware unless you accept yourself. But you cannot accept yourself if you are unsure of God's love for you. Man, oh man, look at these passages. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your, not sick, you were dead. You are dead in your transgression sins. But, thank you, Lord, for coordinating conjunctions. Yeah. English majors, anybody? Coordinate? How many are there? How many coordinate conjunctions are there? Does anybody know? There's seven of them. Thank you very much. Seven of them. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace. It is by grace. It is by grace. It is by grace you've been saved. If you've been saved by grace, live in grace. Dance with the one who brung you. Romans 5, 6, you, just at the right time, when we're still powerless, Christ died for the good, for the moral, no, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, so for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for me. When I was jacked up, furthest thing from God I could possibly be. He said, I love you. I love you. The gospel is, although we are more wicked and sinful than we dare believe in Christ, we're more loved and more accepted at the same time. Who are you, Peter? Deeply flawed. And what? Deeply Peter, you were so sinful that he had to die for you, man. There's no unrighteous, not even one. He was so sinful, he had to die for you. Fall full short of the glory of God, but that's not all you are. Who are you? You're so loved that he was glad to die for you. Oh, Jesus. You're so sinful, Peter, he had to die for you, but you're so loved, he was glad to die for you. Who are you? Deeply flawed, deeply, deeply loved. God's acceptance of us in no way says anything about whether he wants our wholeness. He longs for our healing redemption. But it's his kindness, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. Look what Paul says. Look what Paul says, Romans 4, 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's his love and kindness, his acceptance of us. Let me listen, 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 listen. You cannot sit there and go, I have these things about me that I don't want to accept. You will never change. You have to go, these are things about me, good and bad. How do I accept myself, Peter? You can only accept yourself knowing that God accepted you. And he says, now do the same. Acceptance precedes transformation and change. But except this isn't possible without the gospel. Lori, how's your heart feeling? My heart feels like it's going to burst out of my chest. My heart feels going to burst out because I, 
See, I will not have the courage, you will not have the courage to come up, take communion, and write on any of these cards. I'm not saying you have to do it, but if you write on this card, shame, insecurity, fear, unless you look up and go, he did that for me. He accepts me and loves me. And he wants my wholeness. Self-acceptance empowered by the gospel first allows you to be honest with yourself. Do you know how I realized I was beginning to get this? Do you know how I talked to myself for years? I talked to myself in ways I would never talk to any of my kids or people that I love. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you listen to the way you talk to yourself? Do you know how harsh you are? Do you know how demeaning you are to yourself? When the gospel comes, you're truthful but loving. I'm going to say this again for some of you. The self-talk that goes on in your head and you say to yourself, you're worthless, you're a piece of crap. You, who would love you? You'll never come over all those addictions. You're not worthy of it. Those self-talk, the only way to bust through that is to hear the voice of your father going, you're loved, you're accepted, you're precious, you're of infinite worth. Look what I did for you. Secondly, acceptance and power of the gospel allows you to be what? Fully known to others. These multi-ethnic conversations, are you kidding me? Half of us are pretending. I know more than I actually do. Stop it. I'm further along than I actually am. Stop it. For some of us, we're also afraid, though. What if they think I'm ignorant? How the heck are we going to engage in authentic community when we're pretending because we're afraid? What's going to empower us to be fully known, Cece, is to be what? Fully loved. When you're loved like that, it's as if God is loving you. When somebody looks at you and goes, I know everything there is about you, but I have more respect and love for you now than I ever did before. You literally feel like, that's how God loves me. Yes, it is. Third, Kimmy, you can come on up now. Third, not only will you be able to honest with yourself, not only will you be able to be honest with other people, but you'll actually be able to encounter the love of God. What do I mean? The love of God needs to be received. The only way you could receive, please listen, only way you could receive the love of God is to come to him as you are, not as you want to be, not as you hope to be. Church people, listen up. You cannot experience God's love if you go, I can be loved to the extent that I do X, Y, and Z and clean up X, Y. No, God's love is encountered when you come in vulnerability, nakedness, insecurity, fear, shame, as you are. Why? You're coming fully known. This is me. You're coming with God. Here's the 10% that I've given to you. And the 10% of the iceberg people see, here's the 90% that no one has ever seen. Here. Can you love me still? Yeah. Yeah. I can. Some of us have never truly encountered God's love. Why? You have never approached them with your 90% of the iceberg. I asked Kimmy, 
Hey, you. To share, I'm going to just give a minute or two intro, so if you would just be comfortable wherever you are. And Cece, you can come on up, because we're going to be in the communion soon. Because as I was thinking about the sermon series, a thought came to mind, and then, of course, God uses Kimmy. Please listen. God uses Kimmy to go, yep, you need to do that. What do I mean? I realized early on as I was preparing this series that for some of us, please listen, for some of us, the false self and the pretend self and the bandages we wore was the way that we got through childhood trauma and dysfunction. In other words, for some of us, the false self was just living in an environment, but for some of us, it was literally a way to protect ourselves, armor ourselves from the dangers of the environment. So the false self was, I need to be funny and lighten the mood in our household. False self. For some of us, it was, everybody's messed up, and I need to be the competent one. I need to be the... For some of us, parents are nowhere to be around, so I got to be responsible. Peter... Hong, be responsible for your three siblings. We grew up armored. And the false self was a way to survive, protect ourselves. And this is where, by the way, church people with good intentions say the stupidest things. They say, it's like, well, everything happens for a reason. Shut the heck up. Not everything happens for a reason, but in everything that happens, God is able to bring healing, redemption, and salvation. Please don't tell somebody who went through a tough childhood, everything happened. No, but in everything that happens, God is able to glorify himself. Amen? In the email that Kimmy sent for me, it was a way for me as a pastor to acknowledge that not all of you guys, we're false self to just be. No, you were the false self because you're like, this is how I had to survive. And so I asked Kimmy, I said, would you mind sharing your story as we close the service and enter into communion? Is this working? It's working. I'm just more or less going to read my email. I've never read something I've written to a large group of people before, so be patient with me. Um, The first thing I also want to say is that for anybody who has had this experience uh, that Peter just alluded to, um, this could be a trigger for you. Um, So please attend to yourself as you need to. Yes. Um, And also I'm pretty transparent about sharing my story with people. But also I appreciate your care because it's a trigger for me too. Um, Yes. So so this month is my three-year therapy anniversary. Um, and that started largely because of emotionally healthy spirituality, which we talked about. Uh, the true, true self, false self topic has been at the foundation of those efforts. Um, every season I plateau for a minute and think, finally, I'm not going to have to go anymore. We've done it all. We've talked about it all. I'm good. This is fine. And then God, as he does opens up some other part of my fractured soul that I was completely unaware existed or was repressing or was trying to forget. Um, But I know he does that because he loves me. In that like, this doesn't feel like love kind of way. Um, So my therapist is always reminding me that after 30 years of thinking and behaving and fearing that I've accrued, 
before beginning to engage with this work that it's not gonna take less time to tear that down and rebuild it than it did to slap it up in the first place. Um, and I'm finally getting to the place where it's okay that this is going to be the rest of my life. Like I'm going to be unpacking my wounds and doing intentional internal work for the rest of my life. Um, uh, so I do want to name, as Peter talked about, how abuse and misuse and trauma uh, can create a false self, especially for children. So in my story, um, I carried on my shoulders the weight of the consequences of other people's sins in my life. It was while reading Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, as a church that I started to consider that maybe my childhood wasn't normal with a dramatic twist, as I always sort of had in my script of what I would tell people. Uh, my first therapy session, I gave the quick re recap of my childhood experience to her, thinking that she was just going to be like, okay, sounds good. Well, how do you feel today? Um, but what I got instead was compassion and affirmation from her. And it unfolded week after week as we opened up my memories and exposed them to the light, and I started seeing something new that I didn't realize was there. Um, to a large degree, I put my false self on in the first 10 years of my life, and it's basically been there ever since in different forms. Anxiety attacks, compulsive responses to emotions that I could barely name or manage, uh, rage masked as reason, isolating shame, perfectionism, a burden to save everyone I love from themselves, and honestly, even a frenzied preoccupation with time. Um, until um, It's taken me until very recently to have enough compassion for my own experience and enough sight given gracious to me, graciously to me through the eyes of others um, to see that my false self in some way saved my life. As a child, I needed those bandages. They protected me from dangerous people, the people that I saw every day who were supposed to be my safest people, my parents, my family. It's a light side analogy. I watched a TED talk recently, and a medical doctor named Nadine Burke Harris made an analogy that stuck with me, and she said that um, if you're running through the woods on a jog and you run up to a bear, you freeze, and your brain sends a signal to your pituitary gland that sends a signal to your adrenal gland, and it starts racing adrenaline through your body, and your heart races, and you seize up and you prepare. Am I going to fight or am I going to run to save my life? And she talked about that that is an amazing gift that we have. Our bodies are amazing, but it is very different when the bear comes home from work every night. And the effect that that has on a person who has no safety or who has no voice or no choice to experience that physical fight or flight every day and the effect that that has on our physical lives and our emotional lives and on our spiritual lives, it's very real. Um, so for a long time, I looked at the posture of my false self as a bad thing that needed to get out of my life at all costs. 
my most profound healing has come each time I've been able to enter deep into myself with curiosity and look straight into the heart of one of my false parts and be grateful for it. That coping mechanism warned me, it protected me, it redirected abuse away from me for years. And when my childhood sanctuaries were actually unstable and unpredictable and terrifying spaces that left me without choice or gravity, I had a sacredly held set of parts that kept everything from falling apart at my feet. And from where I stand now, I'm starting to see that God gave me those parts. He was a God who saw me in the place that I was and had enough love for me to protect me from the inside. Even when I had no knowledge of his presence in my life, he was making a way to get me here. It's where I am right now. But it was a gift for a specific time. It was not a forever gift. This idea has dismantled and rebuilt how I walk into healing. In the past, I tried to ignore their reactions to a trigger until they screamed at me so loudly that I could not ignore them until there was a panic attack or a set of hives that sent me to the hospital or some kind of compulsive cleaning that I couldn't seem to stop. They're screaming at me. We are afraid of this and we see this. We remember this fear. Pay attention to us because we've seen this before. So I try to rip them out by force while I'm naming them the worst parts of me and disobedient sin. But that doesn't work because I tried it for years. Instead, now I'm starting to see their sirens take time to find them, affirm that they've been holding on to something for a very long time for me, and thank them for their hard work. Even my internal universe seeks redemption. Those hidden and wounded refugees are not the reasons I find separation from God. They are seeking God too. They were birthed out of the sin of trauma and took root in a terrifying reality of being tender in a toxic place. I am separated from God because I have inherited lies that formed my vision and can blind me still today. I am separated from God when I let those fearful, wounded parts drive. And I am separated from God when I rely on outdated grace instead of having faith for new mercies right now. The many parts that comprise my false self are no longer needed in this life that I've been delivered into. Praise the Lord. I'm not there physically anymore but it takes a tremendous amount of time and work and grace and compassion to walk all of those parts back into the light so that my internal world doesn't have to be like that anymore either. It's not until I look at each part and thank them honestly and fearlessly for doing their job so well that I have the posture to give them back to God as an act of worship. And that worship is the core of my true self. Um,
I would love it if some of you guys that are friends with Kimmy just get up out of your seat and just go right to her right now. Just go. Go right to her. Go right to her. Come on. Go right to her. Go right to her. Kimmy, you are so brave. You know, I worried about the service the whole week. I'm like, God, I don't know. I don't know. How are we going to end it? How we're going to... And God goes, don't worry about it. It's not up to you. So here's how we're going to end it, you guys. It's communion. But it is grossly it, inappropriate to go, let's everybody take communion. We're going to sing a song, put a bow tie. No, we're not going to do that. That's not who we are. But we want serve communion. So here's what we're going to do. If the communion service will please get ready. Prayer team, please stand to the side. Craig, would you mind, brother, praying for some folks? Can you come on up? Yeah. So here's what I would ask you to do. After I bless the elements, you are welcome to leave any time. Parents, I know, we need to, little ones. So if you want to take communion, come right up, be the first one. Take communion, go get your kids, go home. For some of you have plans, you need to, but I always say this every Sunday. Every, if you have no place to go, you know, take your time taking communion. After you take communion, stick around, linger. How do you walk out of a service like this and just well, meditate, be present? So once again, you're welcome to leave anytime, anytime. CC and the Rich team, they're going to lead us for about 10 minutes just in response. And at the end maybe of that, there might be some sort of a closure to let folks who need to go, go. But anytime after communion, you, could, you can go. And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. The cup that represents, as Jesus said, the new covenant is a new covenant that allows us to come to God, not based on our merits, our achievement, our moral efforts, but purely based on the grace of God. That the Lamb of God shed his blood, covering our sins, our iniquities, so that we might be cleansed and be made white as snow. The way we take communion in our church is intention, which is you take a piece of the bread and then you dip it in the cup, then you take it. After you take it, you are welcomed to... Again, go back to your seats, worship, pray with your friends. These cards, markers are available for you. And again, I would encourage you, hand to paper, something about hand to paper that's powerful and lay it at the foot of the cross as we journey towards Good Friday and Easter. These are available for you. Communion service, please. There will be three stations up front, unlike what we've done in the past, two in the middle, two up front, three stations at the front. You're welcome to come to anyone that's open. Anyone that's open. Someone. Prayer team, Shannon and Shana and Craig will be over there. The cross and the area is available for you. The Lord invites us. Come to the table. Be fed, be healed, be redeemed, be restored, be encouraged. He loves you. He is for you.